Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson is Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6, and verses 14 through 16. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is called The Rich Man and Lazarus, and there's a lot going on here. So let's just listen as the story unfolds and brings us in. This is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raises from the dead in John 11, the brother of Mary and Martha. This is completely different. This is a parable that Jesus tells in order to teach some truths so let's listen. Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man then died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far, far out, far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, 
for I am in agony within these flames. But Abraham says, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all of this, Abraham goes on to say, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've already seen Christmas stuff in the stores. It is so early. It's always so early. But one of the great stories of our Christmas tradition, one that has taken form, cultural roots. Anybody guess started out being written as a story? God bless us, everyone. Charles Dickens, right, Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens wrote in 1843, 1843. And it's thought that he used this passage of the rich man and Lazarus as the model. He based this story on what happens here. The more I read about Dickens, the more that I learned in that he was a Christian And he wrote for his family uh, a book, kind of a biography on Jesus based on several, eight biblical stories, our text from today being one of them. And so they share a lot of the similar properties. We know Ebenezer Scrooge, what was his problem? Well, pretty much everything. He only cared about himself. He only cared about his money. He only cared about his power. He only cared about his business. He didn't care about people who worked with him. He didn't care about people in his family. He didn't care about the community. All he wanted was that cheddar, that lettuce. And in doing so, isolated himself from just about everybody else in his world. Until former business partner Jacob Marley comes. He's got all the change. He's not looking so good. And he says, it's too late for me. I led a self-centered life. I didn't care. All I was greedy. All I cared about was money. I didn't care about people. And I'm stuck to wander the earth. I'm coming to tell you that you need to change. And you will be visited by three ghosts. Past, present, future. Each one, he has shown difficult things, especially future, where he has shown his own 
grave at his own death and nobody comes. It is bleak. It is horrible. And then he wakes up from this last manifestation with the ghost and is it over? Is it too late? It's Christmas morning. You there, go get the turkey and take it to the hungry. Let's go, I'll see my, my nephew Fred and visit with his family, yeah. It wasn't too late. Is it too late for the rich man? Let's take a look. So we're in Luke 16. And right before this, Jesus, as he often does through the, the Gospels is sparring with the Pharisees, that group that was in charge of keeping the law, but also using it to their benefit, for their status, for their monetary gain, for their privilege. And Jesus keeps calling them out, saying, you're abusing this system. It's okay to keep God's laws, but not to the extent that you've abused that, uh, that core of your calling as a Pharisee. So he had just told them the story of the shrewd manager and ended with, you cannot serve God and wealth, or mammon. Cannot serve God and wealth. And the Pharisees had a problem with that. Of course we can. Jesus? He doesn't say you can't have both. He says you cannot serve both. And so in response to the Pharisees, giving Jesus the, the side eye, he tells this story. And again, this did not happen. This is a teaching tool, a parable. And so as we start, we are introduced to our two characters. We have the rich man who doesn't have a name. And by the way, this story is the only story in all of Jesus' parables where someone is named Lazarus. Based on the Latin Lazarus, which means God help me or God helps. Our friend Lazaro can tell you about that. So we have the rich man, not named, but he's dressed in fine purple. Purple was a sign of royalty. Purple was an elite color in dye, saved for the very elite, the wealthy, may have even been a part of a royal family. His fine linens, his beautiful home and spread, doesn't really say that, but we're assuming all of that. And at his gate is Lazarus, poor, destitute, on the margins covered in sores, who are the only ones who recognize Lazarus in this story in the beginning? The dogs that lick his sores. Ew. So that's what we know so far, those two set up that dichotomy of rich, elite, powerful, and destitute, poor, overwhelmed. Lazarus is trying to stay alive by just eating the crumbs from the, poor, from the rich man's table. And we don't really know how the rich man treats Lazarus. Does he come out of his gate and kick him in the gut every day? Does he bring him some scraps from the table? It said that's what he was seeking. We never see a real interaction between the two. We just have a sense that it is 
very separate, both of those. And this marginalized human being is at the gate, so the rich man would have to have seen him coming and going every day. Just a part of his world right there. So then, after knowing that, they both die. That was kind of a quick to the ending, Jesus pushing us along. Now it says, the angels come for Lazarus and take him on. And then it says, the rich man was buried. And I'm sure a fine mausoleum and funeral service was all done wonderfully. Then we get to the heart of it. The rich man finds himself in Hades, and that, that word Hades is not hell. We get, we get messed and lost in because it's been often translated incorrectly. How do you know that? Because I'm right, of course. Hades is the Greek equivalent of Sheol that we hear in the Old Testament Remember Psalm 139 we did a few weeks ago? Even in Sheol, God, you were there. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no place that I can't go that you aren't there. Your presence is all around. It's like even the dark is like light to you. Even if I make my bed in Sheol, you were there. So Sheol and Hades are the same place. And it is not hell, an eternal place of torment and damnation, nor is it heaven. Within Hades and Sheol, there are both. Those who were set aside to go with God and those who will eventually be sent away from God. The belief was that when Christ was raised or will come again, that then all the dead will go to their appropriate places. But right here, it is not hell. It is the place of the dead that is neutral or a place of the grave that is neutral. But it contains both, again, uh, both saved and those who are apart from God. And we see both in Hades. Abraham, I'm sorry, the rich man is, we, we have a sense of flames and hot and he's, and he looks over across the chasm. Talked about the chasm some already. There's this great chasm, although they're close enough to talk. So rich man is not in a good place, but he's looking over to the good place. And he sees Lazarus with Abraham. Abraham, kind of a representation of God, one of God's prophets, father of all of our, our, uh, the, the big three uh, Abrahamic religions. Abraham is there, Lazarus is there with him. And the rich man says, hey, will you send Lazarus to get me just some water? I am burning up down here. And again, we get a sense that the rich man looks at Lazarus as someone beneath him. He's wanting him to step and fetch and go and get, go tell him to go get, don't even speak to him directly. Abraham, tell him to go get me a glass of water. You will not believe the heat down here. And Abraham says, no, in your life, you had a lot of great things and Lazarus had to endure horrible things. Now that it is flipped and Lazarus has inherited wonderful things and you 
are now in a bad, in a place of agony. To which I'm sure he said, thanks for the update. But then he says, and he knows that it can't, that chasm can't be crossed. Abraham says, you can't, you can't come over from there and we can't go to you from here. And so Abraham, the rich man realizes he's stuck. So his thoughts move to his family and says, hey, will you send Lazarus to go tell my five brothers to my father's house? So we assume all are living the same kind of lifestyle, the similar beliefs, and tell them what's going on. I'm here. They need to change their life. They have time. Again, looking at Lazarus as beneath him, as someone who is supposed to serve his needs, tell him to give me a glass of water and then tell him to go to the house and tell people what's going on here because they need to know. Abraham says, no, your brothers and the world has Moses and the prophets, all the scriptures. They have all of that. God sent that to them so they would know. And the rich man says, yeah, 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 but they're not going to believe it. But if someone goes from the dead, then they'll believe it. That's kind of miraculous. How could they deny it? If I came back or Lazarus went back, somebody who's already dead and told them what, what their future would be, ghost of past, present, future. But Abraham says, no. Said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, even someone returning from the dead wouldn't be listened to. And again, with Jesus telling the story at the end of that, you know, I want him to have winked to the crowd. They wouldn't even believe someone who's rising, who might rise from the dead. We're in chapter 16. In chapter 19 is Palm Sunday. He's very close to what we call Holy Week and stepping in, stepping into that role. So a couple of quick things. Number one, what didn't the rich man do? Because again, we don't know that he harmed Lazarus, but first and foremost, he did not see him. And by see him, it means didn't reflect that there's another human being, another child of God who is in his path every day for whom he has never spoken, whom he has never helped, who is in tremendous need, at least hunger and physically with his sores, has no home, has no resources, Part of the job that we are trying to do is see through God's lenses, to see through Christ's lenses, to see everybody the way that God sees us. Do you remember way back when David was set aside from his brothers? They came to anoint him as king and all his big, fine, strong brothers are out there. And no, not them, not them. And then this ruddy, scrawny little punk out with the, the sheep gets brought up and said, that's the one. God looks on the heart of people. And that's what the rich man didn't do. And that's what we are called to do in our lives. It doesn't mean we can help everybody. It doesn't mean we can stop and converse with everybody who's in need. But it means we're called 
to respond to those in our path that are on the margins. So not only those who might need a meal or might need some help, but also to take the next step to try to fix what's behind why they are on the street. Why was this guy poor? Why did he not have medical attention? Why was he hungry? The church does a great job at Band-Aids and helping out that first layer of help, and we need to continue to do that. But we also need to try to change those systems that oppress people. That's harder. It takes longer. It means we need to band together and work to try to change the world to reflect what we think Christ would have us do. So very quickly, this chasm that exists, is that of God's doing? Did Jesus say in the story that he put the chasm there? We just assume God did. I believe differently. I believe the man made his own chasm that separated him from other people and from God. Ebenezer Scrooge, what did he do in his world? He isolated himself. He didn't care about anybody else. He made his own chasm between people and therefore between he and God. Because God is represented in people among other things and places. And so our call is to look at this as potential for us. Christ is telling us you have time. If you were creating a chasm between yourself and God, you were doing that because we are isolating ourselves from others. And make no mistake, at some time in our lives, we are all in a marginalized community. And we are also the rich man. Of course, we don't stop every time we see somebody, but we can stop sometime. The mission this week, I've changed homework to kind of mission impossible. Your mission this week, if you should choose to accept it, is that my guess is most of us support agencies in town financially, and that is great. They cannot do it without that support. Thank you. But this is a relational ministry that God has called us to. It is relational that says you need to see people, which means you need to get to know them, to know that they are my children and your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I challenge you to go to one of the agencies you support, either here at the church or in your own world, and meet with somebody and talk with them. Oh, I know, it's scary. Maybe it's the staff who helps run it. That's an entry level. But we want to get to the Lazarus community. Lazarus represents all those who are marginalized, who are not seen as human beings, who have no dignity. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to go meet some of those that you might put in the Lazarus community, those who are marginalized, oppressed, set aside, not seen as humans with dignity. And not that we don't think of them, but the rich man's biggest issue might have been just complacency, not, not recognizing that that human was there in his gate. The last part of this is downright heretical. What Jesus does here. If you remember Matthew 25, 34 through 46, 
I'm not going to read it because our time is waning. Jesus brings the sheep and the goats. Sheep on the right hand, you always want to be in the right hand of God. Goats on the left hand, and as a left-handed person, I take offense. But he separates them by what criteria? And he says, you will inherit the kingdom because you did what? You fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you gave the thirsty uh, a drink, you visited the prisoners, you helped the sick. That's, those are those on the right hand, the sheep, yay! And then those on the left hand, the goats, you will not be spending eternity with me. Why? Because you did not do those things. And in both cases, well, Lord, where were you? We didn't see you hungry on the street and give you food. We did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Which means that Christ is likening himself to the Lazarus community, the marginalized community. And so for us to show the world that we are believers and followers of Christ, we must go through the Lazarus gate. That is, the gate to the marginalized is where Christ can be found. And unless we engage that community, we risk isolating ourselves, being complacent to the hardship around us. And while we can't fix everybody all the time, God puts in our path those who we can. So go forth today and see with eyes of faith as God sees every created human. And sometimes they're going to say, no, don't need your help, don't want it. But we keep reaching out. See with eyes of faith, with God's eyes. Know that our chasm between God and ourselves often is our own doing. And come back and come to God through this Lazarus gate, Christ is to be found in the marginalized communities. Let's go do it. Hallelujah. Amen.